It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is Spoil Me, covering Elder Empire, see book three of Kings and Killers, chapters nine and ten. In these chapters, so first of all, the crew that has taken the crown actually works for the Sleepless, which I should have seen coming and did not. And then we get our conversation between Calder and Osriel. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Asher for commissioning this episode. Um, apologies for those of you who might be listening to this after the fact, but there is a lot of activity happening right outside my window, including a uh, chainsaw and a pneumatic paint machine. A lot of stuff that's going to be making noise. My apologies for that, but I can't do anything about it. Um, so these were some really, really riveting chapters. I want to say that when I say I didn't see the sleepless coming, I do not mean that within the scene, I wasn't on to what was going on. Once it was described that they were making weird monocle size, like movements of their fingers around their eyes, that was what I immediately was like, okay, this is a signal. But when we are told that there are people who have been like sent to get it, it didn't enter my head that maybe they had their own ulterior motive that they were dealing with, you know? So, all right. I can't, that fucking chainsaw, you guys. I'm sorry. I don't even know. You may not be able to hear it almost at all, but it seems so loud to me. Um, so, chapter nine. Uh, Jerry is saying we have to, like, hurry up and get to the tower. And Calder is the one who is just expressing some caution here. He's like, it's a 
it's going to be dark pretty soon. And there, if there are more of these weird little spawn, it's going to be a real problem for us. And Jerry is trying to say there's only one on the island, maybe. And I was just like, girl, why would you think that? When has there ever just been one of the spawn of any great elder? That has never been how they function ever. And I know that she's like in on the whole thing. So she has a vested interest in just being like, oh, it's no big deal. But even so, despite being one of the sleepless and believing that like the great elders are beings that they can learn from, she knows that the spawn are dangerous. They don't necessarily give a shit if you're part of the sleepless. So they're not going to like spare you. So her attitude here of just being like, ah, it's probably fine. I was like, girl, what are you doing? Um, so, oh, Asher says, I can hear it sadly. Oh, I'm sorry, but I haven't had any trouble hearing you. All right. Well, that's the main thing, isn't it? Um, so Urziah has to be like, no, it's certainly not the only one. I have seen others and I smell even more. And I, I guess that's what it was that he smelled when he was like saying, well, I just don't know this island. Maybe it's just, you know. The sound, the smell of flowers that I'm unfamiliar with. I have to assume it was these elder spawn, and I have to wonder what elder spawn smells anything like flowers. I have to assume that's not really much of an overlap that happens very frequently, but who knows? So Caller asks, How fast can we reach the tower? And Urziah says, We can beat the sun going down, but we will absolutely not be able to make it back in time. And Calder says it's too risky and starts to say we don't even know. And then a flag goes up from the tower with the navigator's wheel on it to indicate that they are there. All of this is so perfectly timed that I am growing suspicious of every single moment. And I don't know how much of this is just sheer coincidence, but the fact that he is like, well, maybe we don't have to do it yet. And then instantly there's like something that happens to make it clear oh your goal actually there is a point to it they they are out there and then they'll have to wait until dawn they'll make it a few more hours and they head back to the boat and he they're like about to walk to, like onto the actual beach when the surf explodes and this fucking monster comes out and even Calder, who, like, you know, he yells to go back to the Reliable, which they were just searching. He says, it heard me. And I was so grateful that he could tell that because I was just like, there is no way that was a fucking coincidence. You were, you were considering spending the night in the ship and not doing this immediately. And it didn't want you to for whatever reason. It's wild, though, that as much as he can recognize this isn't a coincidence, the whole thing with Jirene just completely flies under his radar. He actually thinks later that this guy is, like, leering at his wife. I mean, Calder, I really do want to be on your side, but you can be so incredibly fucking dense. And... I just wonder about Andal and how he has managed to put up with it all this time because, sir, you just don't want to see what's right in front of your face. And I am going to need you to get with a program here, kiddo. 
but we he doesn't and we know he doesn't so um so calder says well does anyone want to stay on the beach and ursiah is like i can manage it if there's only one and calder's like yeah there isn't so let's go so they head into the jungle and he is just dealing with these like repeated images of something dragging Jirene away and being very worried about her. And finally they reach the tower and this voice is like, identify yourself being really paranoid. Eventually, finally they let them in. They have to crawl to get inside, but it takes a minute. They have to sort of, I mean, Calder basically threatens them with Urziah and it's like, either you let us in or he is going to be coming in. So we meet the three people, Miss Lakiri, a gunner from Jerry's ancestral homeland of Vadenias, was built along the lines of a stone statue. She brooded in silence, thick arms crossed, glaring at Calder throughout her introduction. Her companion was Mr. Goss, a ship's navigator who looked like pale skin stretched over a tall, gangly skeleton. He kept checking a pocket watch, and his every word was high-pitched and nervous, as though he expected to be overheard by someone who wouldn't approve. That was my first clue. And it's kind of funny, because I'm not even really sure it was a clue, it may have just been an affectation of the way this man speaks. But as soon as it was mentioned, I kind of had this moment of like, what if he's actually nervous? What if this isn't like just his personality or his behavior? And there is a sense of there's something else going on and I need to be on guard about it. I just had that put it into my head from the beginning. And then we have Captain Thomason. He looked like a fanciful portrait of a navigator from half a century before. And looking at this now, I kind of wonder, does he look like a fanciful portrait of a navigator because he's a spy and a liar? And he just decided to take on the appearance of a navigator based on a essential stereotype? Like, because, I mean, why not? And he says, we lost our alchemist and gunner in battle against the forces of darkness. He declared, scratching at his eye as though outlining a monocle. And I immediately was like, as though outlining a monocle. I was listening to this while I think I was like tidying the kitchen up or something. And I stopped and like tried to do that. And the way that you would have to do it was so awkward that that got my suspicions up immediately. Since we shut ourselves in a fortnight ago, we've scarcely been bothered by the monsters outside. I'm really wondering if they lost their alchemist and gunner in battle or if they just weren't in on it and they got rid of them. I don't know. Um, and... The the dude Goss says that the tiny creatures in the trees, they've been calling them slithers. Uh, and Calder says, I don't know if you've seen their larger cousins in the water, but it's got a taste for boat. It doesn't want us to leave, but it has no problem with us joining you here. Um, and that basically puts them all in the position of thinking if it wants us all together and in this particular location, that can't be good. Nothing that the elders want is good. 
So, again, uh, Mr. Goss rubbed at his own eye. It looked like a nervous tick, but so did everything the man did. And now I'm like, all right, what the fuck? And I will say, I knew something was up, but I wasn't getting sleepless quite yet. I was like, is there some kind of spell happening or are they being affected by something? And it's sort of, they aren't even aware of it. And they're just like absentmindedly sort of scratching it. So, you know what I mean? Like there'll be a lot of stories where somebody has a weird feeling in a part of their body and then it will turn out that somebody's enchanted them to see an illusion or they're being sort of disconnected from what their body's doing and their body's up to something without them. So I was wondering if it was maybe something like that. And then, um, he addressed, uh, Miss Lakiri, who was rubbing surreptitiously at her own eye. Maybe there was something going around. And at this point I'm like, all right, what's an eye? What is an eye? And then I remembered the sleepless have that as their symbol like that they wear on the medallions around their necks. And I was immediately going, Oh shit. I thought that Calder knew about what that meant at this point. And I think he does. And it's just kind of slipping his mind. Cause he's got a lot, a lot of other stuff going on, but I really wanted Calder to fucking get this. And it killed me that he doesn't. So he says, we just have to launch for open water. If we get close enough to the Testament, I can take care of them because he's thinking that he can just use the Lathaton and eat them. And Thomason says, it's too dangerous. It's far better to remain safe here and wait for guild reinforcements. And Andal rightfully is like, you mean like us? that's us. What are you expecting to happen? And he essentially doesn't answer the question. Thomason just sort of dodges it and is like, well, you just want to run out there into the, their mouths, their open mouths. And I'm not doing that. And I'm like, uh-huh, you are waiting for somebody else or something else to happen. What's up, sir? So, he says, uh, if you choose to stay here, this is Calder, we will be taking the crown with us. And all of them have this reaction because they didn't know that this crew had any idea they even had the crown, which it turns out these folks aren't actually positive they have it either because it's in a box that they can't open. So they're assuming it's in this box and we know it is, but isn't like they've got they, none of them have had a chance to like touch it or read it or anything you know so Calder finally says either you show me the crown or I will have Urziah find it because this guy keeps refusing to show it to them and there is a point at which you know I can understand this guy being concerned about what he has been charged to do the fact that he is so resistant, despite the fact that Calder is with the Navigators, this really began to be so obvious to me that he was acting suspiciously that Calder not getting it, I just can't imagine. I don't understand why he's not seeing 
the red flags here. And even Andal. Andal is the one who has been suspicious of Jerry to begin with. Like, he knew something was up. I really wanted Andal to, like, say something about this. And he doesn't. He doesn't seem to think anything. There's no signal coming from him to Calder. And this is the first time, because, like, we've seen Calder be dense before in moments where I'm kind of sympathetic. But this is really probably the worst offense of his that I have seen where he has genuinely not been on his shit at all. And I'm like, sir, I don't know how you can like do the job you claim to want to be able to do. If you are this bad at being able to see what's right in front of your face, these guys are not being subtle. And even like Jerry later is saying to Thomason, sir, you had no discretion when you did that at all. You need to be better at this. Um, so then we have the moment where he shot a quick glance at Jerry that Calder suspected he wasn't supposed to notice. And he thinks this means that the guy is hitting on her. Like, Calder, bruh, what are you talking about? Sir. So finally, we jump over to um, Jerry's POV. They set up like a watch schedule we go over to jerry's pov she waits for calder to be asleep and then she goes over to speak to thomason who is rearranging explosives and is sweating because he is clearly very nervous about handling this stuff and yeah you signaled me and did it with the subtlety of a baboon i expected your entire crew to be loyal I don't think my message, I didn't think my message would reach only one of you. And she says, how did you mangle things so badly you wound up in this situation? And he says, we docked with this island as an agreed rendezvous point, but there were other parties interested in the cargo. We were provided with a breeding pair for just such an eventuality but we were not apprised of the dangers. We released them into the jungle, but they overwhelmed us in days. I don't understand what he's talking about here. Other parties interested in the cargo, I'm assuming, are the Elder Spawn. Which is puzzling because I would think that the Elder Spawn... Like, if the... Sleepless are after the crown. I was thinking they were doing this on behalf of the great elders. If the elder spawn are trying to get it, why are they fighting against other people who have been charged with getting it? I guess the elder spawn are just sort of drawn to it, maybe? But then we were uh, given a breeding pair for just such an eventuality. A breeding pair to, like, fight back against the creatures I guess and we released them into the jungle but they overwhelmed us in days so essentially there were more of the elder spawn than you thought the the breeding pair I'm assuming are also elder spawn of a different type but I I'm just not getting what the plan was here um he says, we were supposed to be provided a quick exit from this tower, but when we tried to bring the cargo through, our passageway collapsed. We have been out of contact since. And I'm I'm assuming that the crown is the thing that, like, you know, it said, 
Thomason had expected to deliver the crown by void transmission to the sleepless cabal, but the emperor's powerful intent remained in, remaining in the object had destroyed the portal, leaving them stuck with the mindless spawn of Othagor and waiting for assistance. So, yeah, his crown destroyed it. Um, Asher says, I took it as they were working for one great elder, but other elder spawns showed up. The great elders don't always work together after all. Oh... I mean, they don't always work together, but they do all have the same goal. So I was kind of assuming that they would be working together on this. But you're right, Asher. I guess that could be it. I don't understand. Like, I guess the breeding pair was meant to be for self-defense. But I just find it really weird that you would have these and just release them into the jungle. Like, that doesn't feel like the best use of them if you have them don't you want to keep them nearby to defend your area i don't know if he makes it sound like releasing them was purposeful you know so i'm just like what are you doing um so finally she says where were you to deliver the package and he says the head office they were to donate it to a private collection which uh she is assuming is kellerak there were those who said anything thrown into the Aeon Sea went into Kellerak's collection. Even Calder believed that. In reality, it depended on which of the Great One's influence was stronger in the area. Here, if they tossed the crown into the water, it would more than likely end up in Othagor's claws. Okay, so that supports your theory, Asher. That makes sense. Um, that was something no one wanted, least of all the sleepless. They could learn from Othagor. But he saw humanity as no more important than frogs or spiders. There was no civilized discussion with the Horde Father, which the name Horde Father is honestly very cool. Whatever swarms he designed to inherit the earth, they would leave no room for humanity except perhaps as food. So she tells him, we have a new purpose for the cargo. And he says, I still have to refuse. I have my orders and you can take it up with the head office if you like. And she's like, okay, I mean, what's your plan, though? If you can't do what you said, and we aren't going to the head office, what are you planning? And he just says, we'll figure something out. And he's got an expression that Jerry immediately is like, oh, kill Calder and Urziah and Andal. Actually, maybe me, too. And... She gets this expression that signals to him he maybe pushed it a little bit too far. He let it slip. So he tries to be like, don't worry about it. And I love this moment. For this, he burns, Jerry's vessel whispered. She smiled back. I know they will. You should get some sleep. And I love that because she's saying I know they will in response to what he said. But it sounds like she's replying to her vessel and being like, oh, they will burn. I know they will. There, I just love that that could be a double meaning right there. Um, and finally, she's like, you should get some sleep. And he he's all, oh, yeah. <gasps> so tired. Definitely going to do that. And she goes back to the main room, checks to make sure everybody else is asleep. And then turns and looks at Thomason, who is standing in the hallway watching her. 
And he instantly like realizes what it is that she's about to do and manages to yell traitor just as she chucks a ball of green fire at him and at the fucking explosives that he was using. The entire tower shakes. She was tossed to the ground and the barricade rattled against the walls. Calder and Andal rolled to their knees, groping for weapons, but Urziah was already up and running down the hallway. She hadn't even seen him move from the floor. And as Calder looked into her eyes, she returned his look of concern with convincing panic. <sighs> Jerry, you are cold-blooded. I'm not mad at her in this moment. I'm mad at her, like, in general. But right now, bitch did what she fucking needed to do. I'm not mad at her for that. So then we go to chapter 10. And it starts with a quote from the emperor. Who are those who watch from beyond the borders of our world? And why do they not save us? And we get a kind of answer. So Calder is on the Aptasia and he is drifting in this darkness and he sees this being in front of him and I can't help but laugh because the description that he has of this man who is Azrael is the kind of description that I think Ethan would have just been so pleased by uh, he had a handsome face, eyes of such an intense blue, they didn't seem human. Age had not marked him at all. He seemed perfect, like an impossibly detailed sculpture of the ideal form of a human. And I was just like, oh man, don't say that shit out loud. He will preen and it will be insufferable. What I really enjoy about the way that Will White wrote Osriel and Ethan is that you can see the shadows of Ethan's personality in Osriel, but he does feel like a distinct other person. And it's really interesting to get to see Osriel in this sense from the perspective of somebody who hasn't got any baggage surrounding him any like if if Lyndon were to meet him, he'd see him as Ethan but different. It would be like he wouldn't be able to help. He'd be like us, you know, sort of reading into some of his behavior because of what we got to know with Ethan and even being with Suriel, she knew Osriel before and remembers who he was. And that informs the way that she sees him. And it's unclear the timing of this, but I, you know, this is before he bailed. So it's, I know that Will has not wanted to commit to a timeline and I sympathize. That's fine. But it's just really fun to see him from the perspective of somebody who has no idea what he does, what he's capable of. It's really interesting to know that in Cradle, everybody is pretty much aware that there are like beings in the heavens. They don't really, they're not relevant to most people's everyday lives unless you are advancing enough that you can consider ascending, but they know they're there. And other than Lyndon's people, of course, I don't think, I don't know what they knew of anything in that regard. But Calder's universe, it doesn't seem like anybody knew these people were out there except for maybe the Emperor and the Regents, probably. 
Um, so I find it kind of fascinating that Calder manages to have this conversation with Osriel on using the Aptasia when the Aptasia was the emperor's and he never got to have this conversation with Osriel. I'm I'm not sure why that is if he just never bothered connecting in the way Calder is because there have been like really specific guards put in place to keep Calder safe that we know he that wasn't the the intent of using the Aptasia for the emperor. So perhaps it was simply that his mind never traveled in the direction that Calder's does because he has a very specific objective here. And so the Aptasia responds so completely to what your intent is that maybe he just never, you know, um, or it's possible that Osriel wasn't as involved and like available because things hadn't progressed as far as they have now. And the, the fact that they have started to break out has gotten his attention and he's hanging around and more prepared to have a conversation because it's like on the edge of becoming a real problem. Um, but either way, he beckons Calder and immediately they are in a room. Each of the four walls, floor and ceiling were made up of stained glass depicting the same figure in various scenes. In one, he stood atop a rock in a sea of wheat, hauling back a huge scythe for a great swing. On the ceiling, the same figure held a ruby planet in his right hand and an emerald planet in his left, while behind him a great sapphire ribbon, river flowed like a ribbon. I, what is that? I want to know what that is. Whoever this was, he was very taken with his own deeds. And he says... I am he of the name Osriel, which is my identity and my purpose and that which you can call me. His accent was all wrong, like nothing Calder had ever heard. And the way this is done in the audiobook is really interesting. Travis Baldry reads the words, but he inflects them in this strange way that really reminded me of like the backwards talk that's been reversed for... Uh, Twin Peaks, those of you who are familiar with that, very unsettling. There is something about sounds that when you like really listen, you can tell there are words in there, but it's none of it's being said in a way that like people talk, you know? So he says, my name's Calder. Do you understand me? I don't know where, where am I? And Osriel says, sorry and apologies. The fault is not held in your hands. Speak more if your will aligns with mine. So he keeps talking, explains who he is. And there's a moment where he's like, again, can you understand me? And Osriel is sort of paused and really focused. And then finally says, ah, there we are. Is that better? And Calder is like, whoa, now you sound like you just could have grown up in the capital. And he, th he thinks that maybe he used like red Calder's intent to get the language. And he asks about it. And Osriel says, 
something like that. We had the language of your world stored away, but such things change over time. Hearing you speak helps me connect with you and your knowledge since your world is usually cut off from me. I might have only moments, but I must know. Who are you? I am Osriel the Destroyer. He sounded a little too lighthearted for a man calling himself the Destroyer. Eighth judge of the Court of Seven, and the end of all that was, all that is, and all that shall be. Please don't call me Oz. I don't know if anybody listening to this remembers that I accidentally called him Ozzy in a cradle recording, but I apologize, sir. It was disrespectful. I take it back. So sorry. (laughs) I will never do it again. It won't happen again. Um, So he gets to the point quickly. The great elders cracked the sky. Do you know how to fix it? And Azrael says, your consciousness has a tenuous connection to this place. I will restrict myself only to the most important details. But then he makes a cup of tea and tastes a sip and describes the type of tea and where it's from, asks if he wants a sip, and then is like, just kidding, you can't drink tea, you don't have a body right now. And I'm like, oh, you just, oh, he said not to call him that. And I went and did it. I'm doing it. I don't care. I can't understand how you just got done saying I'll stick to the most important details. And then you do this. What are you doing? And Calder, understandably, is getting a little bit irritated and says, I don't know if you get your thrills by flaunting your knowledge. And I was like, oh, he does. Calder You've been in this man's presence for five minutes and you already know exactly where he gets his thrills from. Shit. Calder read him like a book. That was really quite good. Um, I should also mention when Osriel is drinking this tea and mentions that Calder can't have any because he doesn't have a body. He sips it and says, thank you, physical human tongue. I have never been so grateful for your tangibility. And that is low-key something I plan to say the next time I eat something really good. (laughs) Thank you, physical human tongue. Everybody around me will think I am a fucking alien. Um, So, yeah, he says, kill me or help me, but stop wasting my time. And Osriel explains he acts this way because it's funny and he just likes a little bit of a, a bit every now and then. And also he wants him to understand that he can relax because Osriel is protecting him. And just as he says that, Ergnaut's like brushing up against Calder's consciousness and is like, oh, he fucking found me. And then Osriel is like, uh, hold on a second. And he looks out at Osriel and says, I've never seen trash so eager to be burned. Yo, that is a hell of a line. That is like, (laughs) that is like the kind of line that you could use in a comment section where you could just, (laughs) <laughs> I just I tuck that away 
physical human tongue and tangibility plus trash eager to be burned are going in that little uh, to be used later pouch. So he projects his intent and Calder is just like overwhelmed, but it's not the same as it is with the emperor. And then there's this like scream in the distance and the shadow retreats. Ergnout, the creeping shadow drew back like a whipped dog. And Calder's like, yo, is he afraid of you? And Osriel's like, he better be. And then explains. What you call great elders are what we call class one fiends. I like your name better, incidentally. They were named before my time. Anyway, they are inmates in this prison and they want to escape. And they're trying to break out. And then he explains. And before I get to the explanation of these three options, I want to mention. On my reread, there is on the reread of Cradle, there is a moment where Surreal is looking at a planet and talking about how there were these like unthinkable fiends trapped on the planet and describes it as a prison planet. And it occurred to me that that was Calder's and Shara's universe. And despite having done that reread, it still didn't really occur to me. She's calling it a prison planet. I'm still not connecting with the fact that they just want to break out of jail. So I was out here thinking, just let the fucking elders leave then. They want to leave the planet. Let them. They suck. Rid the planet of them and you're golden. It's fine. It is not fine. That would not be good. And I just want to reassure because Asher was like, Oh, true. Asher is in the chat saying, I also appreciate the trash line from the perspective of his former profession as a janitor. I didn't even, uh, that didn't even occur to me and I love it. Thank you for that, Asher. But Asher is also, uh, was frustrated a couple of episodes ago when I finished Shara's book and somebody had kind of like spoiled the fact that the Abaddon were involved in this universe. And I just want to reassure Asher that I'm doing the reread and literally am told that it's a prison planet in the, the cradle books and didn't put it together still. So while there were some things that were like mildly spoiled, I still wasn't putting two and two together. So things still were a surprise. <laughs> so I just want to let you know, don't worry, you can mostly depend on me being a bit of a dum-dum sometimes. Um, so there are three fates. Oh, <laughs> Asher says zero percent. Yeah, that's about it. Um, there are three fates awaiting a fiend. If there are too many humans remaining on your world, then it's fate number one. The world itself begins to crumble until I come along to erase it. That will destroy the current form of the fiends, but not kill them outright, so they will eventually reform. But doing so will cost them so much time and energy that it is fate they that it is a fate they wish to avoid at all costs. That brings me to fate number two. 
they escape through this crack in your sky. Those with enough strength should do so already if they wished. But they, but if they do, they meet me. They could fight me or run from me, from me, but eventually I would hunt them down. And it would be the same as fate number one. Fate number three is the one they're seeking and the one we are trying to avoid. They want to escape your world, their prison, into another world. Fiends are like parasites. Perhaps plague bearers would be a better analogy. If they escape in the right way, they can spread to a perfectly healthy world, one that I would hesitate to destroy or one that I couldn't destroy, either because it is too valuable or because it is so old and strong. And when Calder asks how do they escape in the right way, he says they require human intent. They will prepare human vessels for themselves, possess them, and leave their prison behind. They would require human intent to cross the way between worlds with intention. And he describes preparing a vessel as being something like a soul-bound object, like a soul-bound vessel for a human being on Calder's world. And is like it requires a kind of connection. And the deeper and longer that connection has gone on, the better it will be for them. They'll also be more powerful in human form. But they don't take the bodies over until they're ready to leave. And Calder's like, why? If they're powerful, why wouldn't they just do that right away? And he says, because when they do, I'll erase your world. I am sorry, but it is the least harm for the greatest number of people. If it looks like any class one fiends will escape in human form, I will remove your entire world from existence. In fact, I was sent to destroy you already. And Calder is like, why are you even telling me then? And Osriel says, you think I want to do that? I don't like it. No, I'm going to try and find a way to not do that. And I can't just like go down and meddle in things because that's against the rules. Y'all have to figure your shit out. But this wound in the sky is being maintained. So if you can weaken them, it'll heal itself right away. Um, and you can get rid of the great elders because when they take human form, it binds them to the rules of being a human being, which means they can actually die. And if they escape, I'll have to do my job. I try to avoid that whenever possible. Do what you can to keep me unemployed, Calder Martin. And uh, this just sucks. You know, like, what's interesting about this is that the great elders are really giving Dread God vibes because they don't really die in a regular way. The Dread Gods we know what causes them and what can get rid of them. So it's not a same situation, but I wish that we got to learn a little bit more about where the great elders come from, because we know enough about the uh, dread gods to understand how they sort of come about and how they would eventually disappear were the circumstances right 
But the fiends, as he calls them, I am not clear how they wound up on this planet. Like, they infected it, or he's talking about them as plague bearers. I'm assuming that they, like, came from somewhere else. And how do they choose where they go? Why isn't, why wasn't it possible for the Abaddon to protect this planet and stop them from coming in? Or, you know, like, just there's a lot of questions I have about handling them. And obviously... It's never really, like, it's never explained explicitly, but I am assuming that unless they're in this human form, like, even Osriel can't kill them. They are, they, uh, let's see, not kill them outright, um, so they will eventually reform what is it about them that it's beyond his ability to take them out? I mean, he has this destructive capability beyond anything they've ever seen. And the fiends get around that. How is that possible? Um, Asher says, I got the impression they were put there by the Abaddon. I was wondering that. I think there have to be people there to keep the planet connected to the way. Yeah. And keep the planet alive to continue to be their prison. Jan says, I agree with Asher and that the Abaddon sacrificed the planet to keep them there. That is brutal. That is brutal. I mean, that's basically like what a part of my mind was thinking, but I just didn't want it to be that because everybody every human being born there is just they've just got the worst luck like it's so unfair ugh why can't he destroy them what is the what is what is it about them how do they come to be and how many are there how many prison worlds are out there like I just have a lot of questions about all of this. Um, so Calder comes back to himself and Bliss is standing right over him. And she's got the spear of Tharlos right up against his throat and says, you were gone for a drop too long. Say something only Calder would say. And he says, the guild war doesn't matter. None of it matters. We have to seal up the great elder tombs. Help me out. We need to get a message to Joran. And she steps back and says, I don't know if that's something Calder Martin would say. And she just yells bliss. And she looks at him and then finally just puts it away. So he comes out and he says, I need paper. Bring me paper, pen, and the imperial seal. I'll be sending messages to all the regional governors, so bring me their delegates, and have each guild provide a messenger that can get into Rainworth. So, this, ugh, okay, I'm just going to read this part. Um, all the servants and guards bowed, but there was a moment of hesitation as they looked from one to the other, unclear on whose job this was. They weren't used to him yet, and the entire palace had been sent into an uproar after the battle. Order had not yet been restored. 
but he didn't have time for this. He put, pulled out the emperor's crown and added to his commands, run! Everyone but Bliss dashed out of the room. I just hate this for him. He is in the middle of this massive revelation and he can't even get people to get him some paper and pens. I mean, truly, I just, I, like, I have to laugh, but I just really feel for him, man. This is not, this is not the situation I want. So he's asking for all of this stuff, but having read Shara's book, we know none of these messages are going to make it. And so he's saying this and I just have this terrible feeling because I remember how deeply disturbed he was to find out that nobody had gotten his message. He genuinely was like everything that I thought I was accomplishing and nobody even knew. It was a rough moment. Even Shara was kind of shaken by how heartbroken he seemed. And knowing now exactly what the message was and how he had received it truly makes it so depressing that all the work he's about to put in explaining this is not going to add up to anything. So now we have to watch each of these messengers individually get stopped from delivering their message. And it's always a very different scenario so the first one is this guy, Jackson, who has just joined the Imperial Guard. And he's like really ex excited because he has to deliver a message to Rainworth. And he was born and raised in Rainworth. So he knows his way around. He knows people. He can really just kind of cover up the fact that he is here for this sort of like job. And he's pretty sure that if he does a good job, General Teach will hear about it. And it's going to be like a big deal and help him climb the ladder and he is heading out there and he sees these shadows that are going in the wrong direction and of course I'm just like oh no he saw that these were nothing more than shadows shadows stretching towards the sun a chill rose up his spine as 16 years of elder stories rose up in him at once. He leapt back onto the horse, turned the other way, heading back towards the capital. A great black mouth opened beneath him and he fell. When the mouth snapped shut, Jackson was no more. That sucks, Jackson. I'm so sorry. I mean... And like my initial response was kind of how do the great elders know to stop these messages? But Othagor reached out or no, Urgnau reached out to Calder while he's in the middle of a conversation with Osriel and Osriel responded to defend him. So that pretty much gave the game away, I'm assuming. Then we go to Emeralda who I just want to call Esmeralda really bad, but that is not her name. She is being followed. And she has this message that she is meant to bring, but she can tell that there are people gathering around her who are not who they pretend to be. Um, let's see. 
she, she was feeling that tingling sensation now as a man that looked like a down-on-his-luck farmer took up the whole dirt road with his ox cart on the way toward her. There was nothing to him alone. He could just be an unfriendly man, not acknowledging the woman he was pushing off the road. It was the way he seemed determined not to look at her, combined with the boys behind her who leaned too casually against the low stone wall that kept one side of the road from collapsing, and the blind beggar with an empty alms bowl who tapped his cane randomly against the ground as though to illustrate his blindness. And I was so glad the way this was described, I was like just really able to picture it. So she's like, maybe they're bandits. And that would be so cool if they're just regular bandits. But I think maybe that's not it. So she pulls her pistol. And the farmer just jumps down from the cart and says, don't haunt us, miss. Made a bargain, we did. And... There's something about saying don't haunt us before you kill somebody that is, I mean, first of all, the fucking gall, the unmitigated gall to be like, look, we are about to murder you, but really, please don't try and like get revenge in the afterlife. Sir, I am going to haunt the fuck out of you now. Are you kidding? It may not even have occurred to me, but now you put it in my head. You better believe you're never going to sleep again, my friend. Secondly, though, just basically being like, yeah, we're about to kill you. It would be, you know, something maybe that we could have built up to and surprised you with. But I'm just going to say it. Why not? And the fact that he said we made a bargain. She knows it's Kellerak. And this sucked. He would have granted this beggar a paltry wish in exchange for following that compass, which no doubt pointed toward the intent of the imperial seal. And the fact that it's described as a paltry wish, I was just so like, look, people being sent to kill you, it's just going to suck no matter what, right? Fair. However, if I'm being followed by people who are like professionals and they have like a reason to hate me at least I feel important you know like I matter like there's an effort being put in you just send these randos who did it in exchange for a fucking like keg of beer that is so insulting like to die that way I mean it, I have described many of the deaths in these books as being embarrassing or undignified and I stand by all of them but this one in particular and the the kind of half-heartedness of it all this just sucks so she knew it was hopeless but she switched her pistol to her left hand and drew her saber in her right Another pair of men emerged from the forest in clothes just as shabby as the others. She would kill two or three, and then if the rest didn't break and run, she would die as she'd lived, fighting elders. And I'm just like, damn, what a badass. So then we have Rena of the Alchemist's Guild, who is dealing with the Magisters. She had been working with Nathaniel Boreas, and he trusted her with these secrets, including negotiating secret meetings. So when a magister met her at one of their rendezvous points outside of Rainworth bearing a message for Joring Cursebreaker, Rena promised she would deliver it. The magister trusted her with it, 
The intent of the imperial seal couldn't be broken anyway, so no one could read it, not even Guildhead Boreas. As soon as the magister left, Rena lit a match and set it to the corner of the envelope. Boreas's orders. It wasn't time for peace yet. <sighs> like, I didn't hate Boreas enough to begin with, and then to know he specifically blocked this message. And and it wasn't time for peace yet. Because why? There's money to be made, I'm assuming. I have to assume Boreas has no idea what the message contains or the what like the information that's actually on the line and just made an assumption as to what this was. But honestly, I am so frustrated at the fact that by the time Shara's book ends, Boreas appears to still be alive. I am hoping, and I don't know if it's like anything, but I'm hoping that in Calder's book, we get to see Boreas get taken down in the end after all. I don't know what happened to him. You know, like we jump ahead in time a little bit and he's not mentioned again. And if something happened where he did die, I missed it, but I don't think so. I think he just like heals because, you know, he was so paranoid. He had a bunch of contingencies in place to keep himself alive. But I really need that man to die. Like genuinely, he is a plague. I hate him. I hate him so much. So that is the end of the chapter. And we are left here knowing that poor Calder is carrying the weight of this message that he thinks is going to be getting to people and that they're going to be like amassing and coming up with plans to work together because they all now understand what's really at stake. And in fact, nobody is going to be doing that. And I just, I really feel for him. He did his best. They need better means of communication in this universe. Honestly, what would be kind of cool, and I don't think that this really like would necessarily work either. But it's interesting that all the messages are kind of like guarded with the intent of the seal so that other people can't read it. I am not entirely certain that having it so that people can't read it is the way to go. What if it, what if everybody found out? Would that be such a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that like everybody finding out that their planet is a prison planet would cause chaos. I'm not even sure that information was included, to be perfectly honest. But I just feel like the more people who know that the Great Elders can be defeated if they take human form, the better. It just feels like good info to have. I don't know. I don't know. He should go to the news sheets and have that information spread there, you know. But who knows if they believe it. It's too late now. But I just, I really do feel for Calder because this meeting with Urzaya, oh my God, Osriel, is if he continues to rule, which who knows how that's going to go for him, but I'm assuming he does. How do you rule knowing this is possible? Like that this is your planet, you know, just like, how do you go on? what point does there feel like there is in things? It's just such a big idea. And it's such a, it's depressing, you know, 
And obviously, when I say what point is there to things, there is still a huge point because you're still living your own life. And there are lots of people on this planet who evidently have managed to basically never encounter elder shit almost at all. So it's not impossible, but, you know, I can't help but look at it from the big picture perspective and be like, what would I even do if I found out about this? Uh, you know, if I discovered this about our planet, for example, it would make a lot of things make sense. I will say that I would suddenly be like, okay, now see, I get it. Okay. I would feel like, oh, the gaslighting is finally over. I knew this place was trash. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, I don't know what I would do. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's it. I'm going to take a look here. Uh, okay, so next episode next week is chapters 11 through 13. So we're doing a few, uh, three chapters next time instead of just two. I'm pretty excited. I feel like now that Calder has this info, we're going to be cooking with gas. Up to now, a lot of what has happened has pretty much been things that we were sort of aware of because of Shara's POV. And now... I'm really curious because we're going to be coming up against her assassination attempt. And I have to assume some of whatever's going to happen with that is related to him having info from Oz. I don't know. But clearly th this is going to somehow inform what happened there. And I'm really looking forward to finding out about that. So, all right, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you guys again so much for hanging out with me. Thank you to Asher for commissioning this episode. Appreciate you a lot. And I will see y'all soon with a new one. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.